Well, as we learned last week, we have this amazing new thing, this new covenant in Christ Jesus. It wasn't there before Christ, but it is there now, and we are living after Christ, and so we get to live into this new covenant. Now, in the new covenant of faith in Jesus Christ, we find that it is much better, it has a much better foundation for our relationship with God. The old covenant had a foundation built on sacrifices, animal sacrifices and rituals and temple worship and a whole bunch of other things. This one is based on a relationship of faith in Jesus Christ. It's a better foundation. We're going to look at that more deeply this morning. This relationship, this new covenant relationship that we have is offered to us only on the initiative of God. In other words, he pursued us. Scripture says he loved us first, and so we love him. It's because of his grace, not because of anything we earned. So we can see this even in the word that's used for covenant here in this passage. The Greek word that's used for the new covenant is the word diateke. It's used in this passage for, for covenant, but that's not the normal Greek word for covenant. The word agreement in Greek, which is used for marriages or for business partnerships, is uh, sunteke, right? And that is used to describe sort of equal terms that people come together and they make an agreement and they say, okay, you do this and I'll do that and, and we'll be okay as we walk together in this relationship, whether that's a marriage or a business relationship, partnership of some sort. But if one of those members breaks the deal or or destroys those terms in any way, then that deal can be voided and it's non-binding for the other partner. But, newsflash, God and humans are not equal. You might want to write that down. God and humans are not equal partners. God is the greater partner. God is the one who does the work for us and in Christ has done the work for us. So the Greek word that's used here for new covenant is more like the word that we would use for a will. In other words, when you write your last will and testament, it's that word, which is different. When someone writes their will, there's really no bargaining or arguing that takes place around the terms of that will. You have the right to write your will the way that you want to. You can leave your possessions to whomever you like. You write it down, you get the lawyer to you know, stamp it or whatever, and it's, it's a done deal. There's no arguing with the people on the other end. Usually, the will only comes up once the person is dead, so the argument's over, right? Can't have an argument with a dead man or a dead woman. So the word here that God uses for this new covenant, this understanding of the one person is making this will known, is the word for covenant that we have here. Now, the only thing that you can do as a recipient of a will is accept the terms, accept the the inheritance, or reject it. Those are the only two things you can do. You can't change the terms. Only way you can affect it at all is to say, oh, I don't want that. You know, grandma left me her ugly old sweaters. I don't want those. You know, give give them to goodwill. Right? So you can reject what's offered to you or you can receive it. That's, that's as a recipient of this new covenant. This is true for this covenant in Christ as well, right? We can reject, we, we can reject what Christ has done. 
We can say, I don't don't want his forgiveness. I don't want him to die on the cross for me. I don't need that. Or we can receive it willingly and say, oh, thank you. That's exactly what I need. You know, that's everything that I need. So that's, that's this idea of this new covenant. It is so different than the old because it restores and renews a relationship with God, which God then offers us of his own initiative and of his own grace in Jesus Christ. That's why we celebrate when we come together. We celebrate every Sunday to remind ourselves this is a celebration. God did this for us in Jesus Christ. Christ has established this new covenant in his death on the cross so I didn't have to die on a cross, right? I didn't have to die for my sin. And today's passage reveals to us that it's better than the first covenant because it's based on an internalized, intimate knowledge And a forgiving that's so complete that no memory of the sins that were committed actually remain in the mind of God. He chooses to forget. It's a forgiving that makes all things new again. So last week, as we began chapter 8, we discovered that this new covenant that Jesus has inaugurated at the Last Supper is not a covenant of obedience to the law to an external law, like the old covenant was. Like Tanya mentioned, the one, the Ten Commandments written in stone, right? But this new covenant is a covenant of grace, faith in Christ, and receiving the gift that Jesus has given us through his death on the cross. This doesn't mean, however, that God doesn't have any laws anymore. In fact, The new covenant is better because God has put his laws, if you look at verse 10, he has put his laws on our hearts, in our hearts, on our minds, so that we we internalize it. So as opposed to someone from the outside or a law from the outside trying to direct and, 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 and get you to do what's right and not do what's wrong, there's an internal process of change that has begun. In the new covenant, somehow the law goes from being external to being internal. And hopefully today you'll understand how that happens. You'll understand who actually helps that to happen. Because there's a little bit of a mystery there. How does the law go from outside to inside? The mystery is solved by understanding the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. You have to understand the role of the Holy Spirit We are now temples of the Holy Spirit. There was a temple at one time in Jerusalem and people had to travel to it and the Spirit of God dwelt there. And the the priests and everyone served there. And once a year, the high priest went into the very Holy of Holies behind the curtain and he, he had a limited, temporary, quick relationship with God. One day out of the 365, and then he came out again. Now, we are that temple. The Holy Spirit lives within us when we have received Christ. He comes to dwell within us. In fact, if any of you follow the church calendar, last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday. It's the reminder of the the gift of the Holy Spirit which was given on Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives 
and begins to change us. Oh, I wish it was instant. I wish everything changed at once. But there is a process of growth and sanctification and struggle that goes on within us because our flesh does not want to cooperate with the spirit. Even though our spirit wants to, our flesh often struggles. But the spirit is faithful and God is faithful to complete the work that he's begun in us. And so the spirit continues to work to change us and sanctify us as we cooperate with him as we desire to yield to him the Holy Spirit literally begins to transform you and me from the inside out not from the outside in he does this as we work under this new covenant and we say that we're not under a covenant of obedience any longer but what I'm saying is that obedience is still important I believe that we do need to obey God's voice, God's spirit within us. We should never grieve the spirit and push against and reject what the spirit desires for us to do. So obedience is still important, but it's an internal law, a spirit, a relationship with God that helps to guide us in that obedience. So I'm not saying the law doesn't matter anymore. Christians, just do whatever you want. That's not what Jesus said. But he wants to live within us and change us and guide us so that we desire to do his will. So that our hearts are are molded towards what his heart desires. Because remember, you're not saved by obeying God. You're saved by your faith in Jesus Christ. That's the difference in the Old uh, Old and New Covenant, Old and New Testament. This is why actually the Old Testament is called the Old Testament because it was all under the Old Covenant. And the New Testament is called the New Testament because it's all under the New Covenant. Make sense? Simple, right? So God wants you to obey, but by obeying, you're not saved. You're not saved by obeying. It's going to make your life better. You're going to be less miserable when you follow God's way and you listen to his commands. And you won't have to live under some of the consequences of disobedience. Often there's shame and guilt and and, and fear that come with disobedience because we know it's wrong and we did it anyway. But you're not saved by obedience. You're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. I try to explain this to people in the simplest possible way, but we all know the story of the the three people who were on crosses that day that Jesus died. There was Christ and there were two thieves. One thief who cursed him as well and rejected him. But another thief who knew he was guilty admits his own guilt but puts his faith in, in Christ. And that little act of putting his faith in Christ, Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. That man was hung on a cross. There's nothing he could do but believe or reject and he chose to believe. And so he received eternal life. That's the difference from the old and the new. As we think about this passage this morning in, in chapter 8, verse 10, this is actually a prophecy at the time because this passage is a quote directly from Jeremiah, the prophet of the Old Testament. 
So verse 10 is, is, a, is a prophecy when, when Jeremiah spoke it because it hadn't happened yet. He said, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. After that time, you know, look at those three words, after that time. What time? The time of Christ. After the time of Christ, after the time my spirit has been given, I will write my laws in their mind and on their hearts. So this is a prophecy of the coming of Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Spirit. Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet, spoke of something that was in his future. But for us, it's in our past. We can look back. We can read the Gospels. We can read the book of Acts. We can see what God has done to make this happen. So this is what's new. In the Old Testament, nobody received the Holy Spirit to live inside of them because there was a temple or there was a tabernacle or as Moses, I mean, yeah, as Moses said before, there was a, there was a tent, the tent of meeting, which became the tabernacle, which eventually became the temple. But the Holy Spirit didn't live inside of them. They had to go into a spe- special place and visit with the Spirit of God Moses actually spoke to the Spirit of God. But now, under this new covenant, God's Spirit can live within us. Not because of us, but because of what Christ has done for us. This is, this is history changing. This, is, this changed everything. In the Old Testament, you will read about the Spirit of God and he's with people or he comes upon people to empower them for something, for something that they need to do. But the Holy Spirit, you won't read about him living inside of a person in the old covenant. He couldn't do it. Sins had not been atoned for. So sin separates us from God. There's a separation in our relationship because sin had not been forgiven yet. But now because of the cross and sins have been forgiven, the separation is over. There is no Old Testament reference to the Spirit living in any particular person. The Spirit of God could be present with them, but it was always affected by their obedience to God. If they disobeyed, the Spirit would leave them. If they obeyed, the Spirit would come to them. This happened to individuals. It also happened to Israel as a nation as we saw when we studied through the Old Testament, the Spirit of God actually left the temple at one point in the history and has not returned to that temple. He's returned to the temple of his people. How do we know this? Well, King David, who was a man after God's own heart, but he lived under the Old Covenant, he he prayed a prayer in Psalm 51, which demonstrates what it's like to live under that old covenant. In Psalm 51, he says, cast me not away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Old covenant, that's the way it worked back then. 
I actually grew up singing this song as well as you did. This is a line from a song that we sang. And I didn't actually realize when I was singing it that I was singing like an old covenant relationship with God. And I think it kind of got into my head. So there was times in my life that I struggled with, with feeling close to God because I knew I had been sinful. I knew I had been disobedient. And because I knew this song, cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord, I, I would imagine that that was really still the way it was. But this passage in Hebrews helps us to understand the truth and the radical change that took place through Christ. He's not going to take his Holy Spirit from us. That's a good news. That's the, the new thing that we have. Under the new covenant, the scripture tells us that the gifts of God, the greatest of gifts is the gift of his Holy Spirit, are irrevocable. In fact, Romans chapter 11, 29, I'm going to read it in the Amplified because I just love the greater meaning that, that I get from that. The Amplified Bible says, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For he does not withdraw what he has given, nor does he change his mind about those who he gives his grace or to those who he sends his calling. People, that's good news, right? That is the greatest news. We know, actually, Hebrews 13, as we go forward in this, we're going to see this passage quoted, uh, this Old Testament passage quoted again, where he says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. This is one of God's greatest promises to us. Because sometimes we feel or we think that he has left us. Usually when we're in the midst of a mess, when something horrible has happened, we think, oh, God must be done with me. It's over. God's left me. That's not possible if you're a blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ. He cannot leave you. You can feel like he has. You can think he might have. But he has promised, and God keeps his promises. As new covenant people, God doesn't remove his spirit because we mess up. Why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ cleansed us and keeps us on cleansing us. That is the good news. That blood shed once for us on Calvary has power that goes on and on and on to cleanse us and to make us new as we put our faith in him and in his act on the cross for us. See, the Holy Spirit lives within us. It continue in, 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 in chapter 8 here, 10b. I'll put my laws in their minds, and I'll write them on my hearts. As Christians, we're not to be directed by external laws because he's taken them and he's placed them in our heads and in our hearts by the presence of his spirit. This is so much better. So much better. It's called being led by the spirit. In fact, Paul talks about it in Galatians chapter 5, verse 8. If you're led by the spirit... You're not under the law. You're not under an external law. There's an internal spirit working on you and helping you to become what God wants you to be, to use you for his purposes. But you're not under some external law. That's good news. If you have the law of God written in your heart, you have no need for external laws. 
Unfortunately, too many times we try leaning on external rules and not relying on the precious gift of the Holy Spirit who wants to lead you, who wants to transform you, who wants to care for you as only a good shepherd can. I understand that it's hard to be led by the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying this is easy. The reason it's hard is because it requires us to get to know God and listen for his voice and be able to discern when we're hearing from God, when we're understanding what God's will is, and when we're just off on our own tangent. And that's not easy. We live in an easy, easy culture. Think about it. Drive up windows. Just stop at this little board. Say, I want a number two with a chocolate shake. And you drive forward. Somebody reaches their hand out. You give them your card. They swipe it. Or you give them your cash. They sw- and then drive to the next window. And ta-da! Magic! Easy! There's your meal. You get exactly what you asked for. Just a few minutes earlier. It's instant almost. Instant oatmeal. Instant pudding. Instant everything. That's what we are accustomed to and been conformed to, unfortunately, in our minds. But it's ridiculous. We can't be this way with God. We're not this way with our relationships, not with our good relationships. We're not saying, hurry up. Go quicker. I don't have time to sit here and pray. I don't have time to wait for you, God. Sometimes that's how we're acting. We might not be thinking those thoughts, but that's what we're doing I can't stay here for hours and meditate on this passage. I got stuff to do, important stuff. Really? What's more important than your relationship with God? What is more important? Unfortunately, a lot of things become more important. So we'd rather have someone just give us a rule to live by. Give me a quick rule. What do I have to do? What what do I have to not do? But I need to tell you, rules are not relationships. Rules are not relationships. We sometimes, we gravitate towards the rules because they seem easier and quicker. But there's no relationship in those. We need a living relationship with the Spirit of God to get specific direction for our lives. Because the Bible doesn't give us many specific directions. Like who you're going to marry. Notice that it didn't say in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 5, Tom Curtis, marry Heather O'Brien. It doesn't say that. So when I, I, w- I wanted to marry my wife, I had to pray. I had to seek God. I had to seek godly counsel. I had to pray some more. I was kind of nervous. Like, is this the right one? Is this, God, is this what you want? But I had to do some work. It wasn't instant. I didn't just type something into Google and it said, yes, Mary Heather. It, it doesn't do that. I had to slow down. I had to lean into my relationship with God. I had to ask him, God, is this what you want for me? I had to listen for his will. It's the same for all of us, whether it's that new job, whether it's what school to go to in the fall, whatever it is, the specifics are not in Scripture, so how do we know what to do? 
Our life is made up of specific things, right? I got to get up in the morning and do something. I got to go to work if I have a job. I got to take care of my kids if I have kids. This very specific things. There's not a Bible verse for every specific thing you need to do in life. And so God has written on our minds and in our hearts by the relationship we have through the Spirit a way to be guided through all these specific things. We're so blessed now because we have the Holy Spirit who lives in our hearts. He illuminates our hearts and our minds with understanding, with wisdom, with insight. And we shouldn't want it any other way. Even if it's quicker in another way. It's not better. This new covenant is so much better because it's based on a personal, intimate intense relationship with God. A God who loves us with such a love that he would give his one and only son just to have relationship with you. Come on. If you had kids, can you imagine loving someone that much? God did this for us. In verse 10, Continuing on, he talks about being our God. Being our God. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. This is, this is uh, family language, right? God promises to be our God. That means he, he's going to be our family. He's going to be our father. Jesus is going to be our brother. In the deepest sense of the word, sense, such intimacy is expressed in the word Abba. We know it's in another passage. In the word Abba, which is interpreted as daddy, my very own beloved daddy. That's the kind of relationship that God's always wanted with us. But sin came in and and stole it. God knows that his children, his disciples, they need an internalized love relationship with him in order to stand up in this world against all the tests and the trials and the difficulties and the persecution. And so he gave us his spirit to empower us for that. Romans 5, 5b says, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given to us. How much greater can it get? Having created humans for himself, for a relationship with him, he fulfilled his designed relationship through this new covenant. He wanted this relationship with us, and so he made it happen. Now, please don't understand verse 11. Let's read it together. After he he's established this, he says, No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least to the greatest, they'll know me. If we don't take a few minutes to just think about this, it could be confusing. It sounds almost like it says we don't need teachers anymore because we have the new covenant. The problem with that kind of thinking is that it actually contradicts so many other passages of Scripture. For instance, Ephesians 4, where it says... It was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. 
So here's what we have to understand about this idea of teaching here. The pastor who's preaching this to the Hebrews, he's not talking about intellectual knowledge. He's talking about experiential knowledge. Knowing someone experientially is different than knowing someone because you read it in a history book. I told you this before. We could all know a lot about George Washington, but none of us have experienced George Washington. We, we don't have that opportunity, right? So as hard as it may be, and as hard as I might try to teach you about God as a pastor, I cannot give you, pass on to you, experiential knowledge of God. Not for you personally. He wants a personal relationship with you. Not through me or not through anyone else, but directly with you. You have to get that from God himself. And what this promise is telling us is that under the new covenant, this is new. You can experience God for yourself. Do you know that? Do you know that? Do you live that way? You might know it up here, but do you live it? This is the challenge for us. We understand intellectual knowledge. We understand relational knowledge with people who we can see and live with and work with. But now God is spirit, and so the Holy Spirit lives within us, and we need to understand what it means to experience God, to live in an experience with God. That's why it says, no one will have to say to you, here's what it's like, because you'll actually be able to experience God personally. Now remember, under the old covenant, only a very few select individuals got that privilege. Moses got to go up on the mountain, and, and, and they, the, the people would stay down in the valley, right? And they would hear God speaking to Moses, but they weren't with him. They weren't experiencing that, Right? Or once the, the tent of meeting or the tabernacle was set up, there was this room that some could go in, and then there was a deeper room than that, and then there was behind the curtain, the Holy of Holies, where only once. So this is unbelievably world-changing stuff that you could know and experience God personally. This is why we're, this is why we're called a nation of priests, a holy people because we can enter into the presence of God like the holy people, the priests of the Old Testament. Here's the way that one pastor paraphrased it, which I love. No one under the new covenant will have any need to explain to anyone else what it means to have a personal, intimate, and familiar relationship with me, God. Because regardless of who they are, they will know me intimately. That's the big difference. That was not allowed in the Old Testament covenant. It was not even set up that way. In this new covenant, all are welcome into a personal relationship with God, from the least to the greatest, that passage says. Now, this is something we'll take a minute for. This is something also very new, because in the ordinary life of the Jews, which the book of Hebrews was written to, there was a complete division among people. On the one hand, there were the Pharisees and the Orthodox who kept the law, all of it, ceremonial and all. On the other hand, there were those people who were then called the people of the land or ordinary people who did not have to fully observe the details of the ceremonial law. In fact, they chose not to. And because they chose not to, they were despised by the other group. You couldn't marry 
between those two groups. You couldn't actually have a business partnership between those two groups. You couldn't even travel together as a group. But Jesus came to set up a whole new kingdom, a different kingdom, where everyone, anyone could enter into a holy relationship with God through the forgiveness of their sins because Christ has opened the way. We'll talk about this more in chapter 9 of Hebrews. Now, he opened this way by his perfect sacrifice, which allows for God's complete forgiveness. Now, I use the word complete forgiveness because this is truly complete forgiveness. I don't know if we've really experienced this among people, but God can do this. Read verse 12 with me. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. That's the complete part. We, we partially forgive, right? You know, when, 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 when your wife does something and you, you have to work through reconciliation, you forgive. But mm, you kind of remember, right? And sometimes your, your trust is a little bit off or whatever for a while. But, but if something similar happens or if that happens again, you're like, oh, not again. Unbelievable. This is the 10th time this month you did that. Well, I thought you forgave me. Well, I did, but I didn't forget. Read this verse with me out loud. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Unbelievable. This is not possible for us in this form right now, right? One day we'll be free from all the garbage, that, the baggage that we've collected. But praise the Lord, he has chosen to make his character this wonderful. His, his being is this great that he has chosen through Christ to relate to us that way. One of the most fulfilling experiences of the human heart, I love this quote, is to be embraced with such tenderness and strength by someone we have hurt that it is as though nothing had ever stood between us. One of the most fulfilling experiences of the human heart is to be embraced with such tenderness and strength by someone we've hurt that it is as though nothing has ever stood between us. We all long for that. We long for that from one another, but even more from God. He embraces us that way. Even though we sinned against him, we offended him, and we continue to at times in our weak moments, in our struggles. But he chooses to embrace us in Christ Jesus in such a beautiful way. This forgetting makes all things new. It, like, it like makes a whole new relationship, a blank slate, a whole new relationship each time we go through it. No promise to the human soul could be so satisfying or freeing as that. This kind of forgetting allows the future to unfold without all the restraints and baggage of the past. We're free. We're free in Christ. 
This promise is such a complete reconciliation. It is the foundation of Christian faith. It is what we build our faith on. This personal relationship with God is not as hard as you might think. And there's no mysterious formula for getting it. As soon as you become a child of God, you receive the Holy Spirit who will begin to work in your hearts, begin to grow you up, begin to mature you as we follow his lead. We need to follow after him. He's the one that lives in the hearts of believers and never leaves them. He counsels us. He teaches us the truth. He changes our hearts and our minds. And without the Holy Spirit, we would not have the ability to fight against evil. We would fail every temptation, every test, every trial. But since we do have him, we begin to produce a fruit, a fruit that comes from the Spirit, a fruit that's not natural to ourselves, a fruit that is called love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All of these things that we desperately need begin to be grown in our hearts by our relationship with the Holy Spirit. This new covenant is based on that relationship. We are new covenant people who should walk in the wholeness that God has given us. See, this intimate relationship between God and people, it's not a second-hand knowledge. It's not even a third-hand knowledge or a fourth-hand knowledge. This is what's new. You can have a first-hand knowledge of God. I hope that you do. I want you to think about that. There's plenty of second-hand knowledge, and, it, and, and it's useful. It helps us. But at some point, you take the sermon or the book or the devotion, and you personalize it. You say, God, I heard what Pastor Tom said. I heard what that book told me. I read those words. I heard that song. But how does it apply to me and you? What should I do in response to that? Because there's a relationship between me and God that nobody else has. It's personal. It's personal. We all have one in Christ if we are walking in Christ, but, but it's unique because God made you different and you different and you different and you different. We all have different backstories. We all have different professions and different family dynamics. We, we're, we're unique, and so we need the uniqueness of that personal relationship with God to be fostered and grown and understood. And it can only be done by the Spirit of God. Nobody can teach you that. You go to God yourself in your quiet place, on your walk, on your hike, in your car, wherever. You go to God yourself. That is the beauty of the new covenant. It didn't exist before. You had to go to Jerusalem you had to ask another guy to take your sacrifice in for you and then come back out and tell you how it went, I guess. It's not like that. Not like that. So don't live on my sermons. Don't live on somebody's great Christian book. Live on your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's real. Now, it needs to be fostered. It needs to be grown. You need to discern. 
What am I hearing? What am I sensing as I read God's word? What is he telling me? Who should I marry? What job should I take? What school should I go to? God cares. God loves details. Look at the world. Look at the amount of detail in a flower, in a plant or whatever. God loves details. He's a God of details. His spirit lives in you. If you are in Christ, his spirit lives in you to guide you and to help you. Don't live on third-hand knowledge, second-hand knowledge. Father God, we love you because you first loved us. You did everything that was necessary for us to have a relationship with you, and you've left it in your will. You've asked us to receive it as our inheritance. Help us to receive all of it, to be reminded of what we have been given in Christ, to live in the reality of our experience with you personally, intimately, as our Father God, as our Daddy. Thank you for your spirit which you poured out on us when we became a believer in Jesus. Help us to foster that relationship, to look for ways to to continue to meditate and think on that relationship and let it grow. We are so blessed to have been forgiven and then filled with your spirit. Help us to be led by your spirit this week, this month, this rest of our lives. In Christ we pray. Amen.